I walked up one side of this rolling stone dome and this 600 pound barren ground grizzly bear walked up the other side of it uh, and we met at the top 30 feet apart walking right straight towards each other so we walked right into each other's vision and both the bear and I had the same reaction which was just like oh my god what am I looking at Hello everyone, this is your host Indre and welcome to one more episode of the I Bounce Back podcast. Today's guest is Alex Messenger. When he was 17, Alex and his friends went on a 600 mile canoe trip in the Canadian wilderness. 29 days into the trip, while out hiking alone, Alex was attacked by a grizzly. Left for dead he woke to find that his summer adventure had become a struggle to stay alive. That's an incredible survival story and there are a lot of things to unpack here. So without further ado, let's dive in into his story. This is episode 18, Alex Messenger, face to face with a grizzly. Yeah, it, uh, it was definitely an adventurous trip. Um, this type, this exact type of trip, um, I did not go on often. I went on a lot of uh, canoe trips, wilderness canoe trips, which is you know fundamentally what this trip was. But this one was really the pinnacle trip, the most uh, remote that I had ever been on, uh, the longest in terms of both distance and time. Forty-two days um, was the planned route yeah so 42 days 600 miles um to get there we'd drive to the end of the road uh in canada and then fly uh for a while in a in a little uh puddle jumper uh with floats to the southeast corner of the northwest territories and from there it'd be just up to us to to make our way north to this tiny village a thousand miles north of the u.s canadian border so uh, a, a type of remoteness that's hard to <laughs> hard to imagine uh, these days. Um, and really, for all of us on the trip, it was it was this pinnacle trip. We'd all been working up towards it um, on longer and longer uh, trips, and this was going to be the longest one um, for anyone involved. Um, so, <laughs> a really unique opportunity for yeah. for all of us. And so in the middle of this trip, you encounter a grizzly. And as in the stand, you are completely alone on your own. Yeah, uh, 29 days into the trip, um, I was out on a hike alone in an area where the rest of my group had been just moments before. This is north of the tree line. So there's no trees around. This is the highest point of land around. And um, we knew there were grizzlies, but um, we... It's a pretty low-density grizzly area, um, so we weren't expecting really to see them. We'd been told that we'd be lucky if we saw them. <laughs> well, you had some luck. Um, I don't know how uh, vivid your memory is, but uh, could you describe this encounter with the grizzly and how uh, how do you remember it? Yeah, I mean, my, my memory is quite vivid, and it's not always the case that you're able to, to recall that stuff, but... Um, you know, it was, it was this very sparse landscape, and basically, I walked up one side of this rolling stone dome, and this 600-pound barren ground grizzly bear walked up the other side of it, uh, and we met 
at the top 30 feet apart walking right straight towards each other so we walked right into each other's vision and both the bear and i had the same reaction which was just like oh my god what am i looking at and what sort of a a situation have i suddenly stumbled into what was and, going uh, through your mind uh, when you saw it uh, when I first saw it, the first glimpse I had of it was just of the, it's the grizzlies have like this hump behind their their head that's kind of the highest point, and that's what I saw was just this hump of fur um, before we had stepped into each other's actual line of sight, and I I immediately thought that this was a musk oxen, which is another dangerous animal that's up there, um, not as dangerous as a grizzly bear um, in the same ways at least. And I thought that was just a terrible situation. And then the next instant, you know, we we locked eyes and I realized that I was looking at this grizzly bear and what I thought was just, oh my God, this is a terrible situation. This is the worst case scenario. And my pulse basically doubled and I was just struck with um, how bad... <laughs> of a situation I was in and, and, um, and how limited my options were, uh, because I was alone and because I didn't have that, that equipment with me that I should have had with me. <laughs> yeah. Did any like survival mode kick in? Because like, probably like the majority of people would imagine like you just like scream and run, but <laughs> <laughs> this is like a bad probably decision. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's um, not what you want to not what you want to do. If you run uh, from a bear encounter, um, you're likely to uh, initiate its chase instinct, and it's um, uh, the bears can <laughs> chase you a lot better than you can outrun them. Um, so, uh, I definitely switched into survival mode. Um, you know, we'd we'd been trained on what you're supposed to do if you encounter a grizzly. Um, you know. Uh, it's not expected that you're going to be alone when it happens. And, um, so I instantly flashed back to that training and that those, uh, suggestions that we were, that we were given to back away slowly again, don't run, uh, avoid direct eye contact, speak calmly to the bear to try to convince it that you're not a threat what, and what to you were also telling him. <laughs> Uh, I was saying, hey, bear, whoa, bear, it's okay, bear. And uh, it it didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it, it didn't, it, it, it was, it was processing the situation as well. And it was trying to figure out whether it was going to fight or if it was going to run away, whether I was a threat or, or not. Um, but I mean, that 30 foot distance, it just kind of pushes the hand of the animal that you're uh, that you're encountering. Um, and so it just, it had to make a split second decision and, um, I could kind of see its gears turning in its head as it was, as it was deciding. And, um, ultimately it decided that I was a threat that had to be, uh, mitigated. And I, you know, in my head, I imagine, you know, I, I, I went through that, that protocol that we'd been given, um, I pictured the bear spray, which you carry in a holster, and I, I pictured it on my waist and pulling this can out of the out of the holster and pulling off this wedge safety and aiming and firing it, and um, I couldn't do that uh, because I didn't have it with me, and so I just kept talking to it, kept backing away slowly, 
uh, kept an eye on it without, you know, staring it down. And it basically did a couple stationary bluff charges where it launched onto its front paws, but didn't actually charge at me yet. And it would grunt. It'd be like, and I kept backing away slowly. And, uh, my, (laughs) my adrenaline was just going crazy. And, and all that, all that my body wanted me to do was run. It was just like this, this very strong urge to get out of this situation. Um, but luckily I knew that that was the only thing I couldn't do. So I just kept, kept trying to convince it that it, that it didn't need to fight me, that it could just walk away and, um, and, uh, and, and leave it be, but it, uh, I, it attacked. Yeah. I was not able to convince it of that. So it escalated from these stationary charges to a full speed charge. How long did this encounter last? You know, between the moment when you saw a grizzly and when it attacked you, because, you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of minutes already, but I assume it's just like, several seconds and that's it that's a a good question i don't exactly know i mean time kind of distorts when you're in a situation like this your brain is just going on full overdrive and um people talk about things going into slow motion or or hyper motion or just you know time not being what you normally perceive it as um and I didn't really experience things speeding up or slowing down it was just like everything was going super fast and I, if I was to guess, uh, it, it was a very short amount of time. I would guess that everything that we've covered so far happened, uh, within a period of, of, I don't know, Less somewhere between minute? 10, 10 and 30 seconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> very fast. It's like step, see each other. Oh my gosh. Start backing up grunts, charges, and then, uh. Yeah, probably less than 30 seconds between seeing it and and having it make contact with me. Mm-hmm. So little time if you haven't pre-visualized what you're going to do in a situation like this, you I mean, you're just winging it. Um so, you know, because I'd pre-visualized that and because I'd gone through that training with our group, I at least knew what not to do, what what I should be doing um and uh had at least some idea. <laughs> Did you at some point realize that it was going to attack you? Yeah, I mean, after it uh, did those stationary bluff charges, it kind of faded into these um, these kind of rolling charges where it would come at me and then it would pause. And then at one point during those, it kind of switched from this interrupted charge to what felt like a full charge and after that it didn't slow down at all and um you know if i were to anthropomorphize a little bit i felt like i was reading the bear and could see that that the switch had kind of flipped in its head and that um from that point it was just going to keep coming at me Mm -hmm. and uh when it was five or ten feet from me which is just nothing. Um, I had I had a camera in a Pelican case, like a hard-sided waterproof case, and uh, it's the only time I'll throw my camera. It's also the only time a throw mine hit something it was supposed to because I was a terrible shot, but just on instinct, my arm swung back, and I, I chucked this camera in this case, 
at this bear coming full speed at me from five or ten feet and I hit the bear square in the nose with enough force to turn its head all the way to the side and the camera went flying off to the side and that gave me just a just a split second um, where the bear couldn't see where I was and I was able to jump out of the way and dodge it on that first pass um, which <laughs> isn't wow. exactly uh, part of the rule book but that's <laughs> <laughs> just what at that point you know I wasn't really making any more decisions on my own it was all just subconscious and and uh my own fight or flight response yeah. dictating my moves at that point did uh, any thought uh, come to your mind that you might die like i was yeah i'm just curious if that you know in this rush of adrenaline you would potentially think about that yeah definitely i mean um you know, the, the situation and, and the different ways it can play out are kind of the forefront <laughs> of your mind. And, and um, you know, I was in self-preservation mode. And, and by the time um, I threw that case, you know, I was yelling to the group, trying to make them aware of the situation. Um, and I was just, you know, yelling help and no and um, and after it kind of after i dodged it that first time i think i realized that uh you know that it that it wasn't stopping um and i started to uh you know <laughs> if if you can say i could be more afraid than i was <laughs> up to this point mm -hmm. uh it kind of upped the ante because i mean this 600 pound bear is i can touch it and it can touch me and we're just like dancing around each other and it's not just walking by me you know it's it's trying to engage me as a threat and and at, and and at that point I was uh just terrified and I was also um I was really I was really upset I mean I was I was frustrated because as this kept going um the certainty that I felt that I was about to die just increased and I was, you know, 17 and I didn't want to die then. I don't want to die now. Um, but it was just this immediate feeling of like my life's about to end and it's all wrong. I was mad and I just felt this profound sense of loss with that realization. Like I said, I, I did its first pass, and then as soon as it like realized it, it passed me, it came at me again and changed directions just um, impossibly fast. Its claws started to make contact on these passes and, and uh, scratch up my back and at my arms, and um, we got closer and closer each time, and, and then finally it, um, it uh, bit at my leg, and I pulled my leg out of the way, and it snapped shut right next to it. Um, and missed my leg and at that same instant it had its paw up and it swiped me across the face um, and caught me with the the meat of its paw and that's just an immense amount of force and um, that's when I really realized that like this was just a completely unfair fight um, not that you know I thought it was <laughs> at all but 
that's you know when I really realized that there was just nothing, there was no comparison to the strength, my strength, and the strength of this bear, um, and there was nothing that I could do um, really to to fight it at that point. And my head whipped to the side, and I went flying to the side. And as I was still falling, it it caught me and it threw me down to the ground, basically with that same uh, paw as part of that same motion. And uh, instantly its head was right at the top of my leg. And uh, it had my, my whole thigh in its mouth, and it, it bit down. And people are like, so do the adrenaline rush take care of the pain? And it did not. <laughs> I felt its teeth go in both sides of my thigh. Uh, felt it, saw it, and just like was screaming to the group to try to get some help. Um, and then everything just went black. Um, I basically had a vasovagal response and my body just shut down uh, from that bite. And at that point, uh, I played dead very effectively because I was unconscious. <laughs> and um, playing dead is one of the one of the suggestions for a bear encounter, especially if it uh, makes contact with you. Um, so I uh, did the right thing at that point <laughs> again. And and, uh, and the next instant, I remember um, I started to catch glimpses of of my surroundings and was very disoriented and um, finally caught glimpse of the horizon, which was all tilted. And so my equilibrium realigned and then I was trying to, you know, figure out where I was and what was going on around me. And, and I saw that the bear was still there. Um, but it was running away at a trot and it was checking on me to see if I was, if I was still in the fight, if I was still a threat. Um, and at that point I consciously played dead and I, averted my eyes again and I watched it as it ran back over this ridge watching me the entire time uh, to see if if it had to come back and finish the job that it had started and I just was hoping against hope that uh, that I gave away no clues that it that it needed to do that um, so I'd been completely sure <laughs> that I was about to die when it bit me which you know was just awful and then um, when I regained consciousness I was just filled with elation because I was like not dead. And then when I saw the bear again, it was just, I was thrown back into this um, terrified state and I waited for it to go back over the ridge uh, where it had come from. Um, waited long enough so that if I stood up completely, it wouldn't be able to see me. Mm. And then I got up and I, I, you know, took quick stock of myself and, and started uh, running back to camp to the group to try to uh, get help from them. You said that you were you ran away, but were you injured, and how badly were you injured? Yeah, um, the main injury was that bite. Luckily, it didn't do uh, anything else while I was unconscious. Sometimes they'll, um, you know, continue their work of uh, eliminating the threat, and um, sometimes they'll drag people around or, or whatever, or it can turn into a predaceous encounter where the bear sees the person as food, um, which is a whole nother level of terrifying, but this was a defensive encounter. Um, so basically as soon as I went limp, it said, Oh, my, my work is done. So it didn't continue, um, 
a mauling. So I had scrapes and bruises all over, but the top of my leg, um, I had puncture wounds from uh, the canine that that were a quarter inch from my femoral artery um, and about the depth of the tooth, uh, which is like mm-hmm. a little over an inch um, where it was. And uh, so if it had hit my femoral artery, that would I would have bled out before I got back to camp. Um, but as it was, it was just uh, soft tissue damage. And I had uh, compression wounds wrapping around my thigh from the from the other teeth, um, where it basically did a lot of damage to the muscle in the skin and and um, made it so that I couldn't use my leg normally, um, but wasn't actively bleeding. Um, so in terms of uh, w- the injuries I could have had, uh, I was really really lucky um, and nowhere near as damaged. <laughs> as I could have been. Um, so I was able to run back to camp, um, or a a limping run. (laughs) Your friends weren't far away from you. The camp was not that far away from you, but they still didn't hear that the attack. Right. So I was 200 yards away as the crow flies. Um, but the, the first 50 yards from camp or my last 50 yards to get back to the group, um, was this very steep uh, 100 vertical foot uh, sort of cliff ridge thing. Um, So because of that physical barrier, there was no line of sight, no direct um, avenue for the sound uh, to go between us. And also the wind was blowing the wrong direction. So basically they were, they were all right there just in a, in a mesh tent getting dinner ready and, and had no idea that this was all happening uh, you know, just a little ways away from where they were. How did your friends react when they saw you and you told them what had happened? Yeah, so I got I got to the top of the ridge um, to the point where I could see the tents and I could see the guys and, and I was just going in stealth mode to try not to uh, clue the bear into the fact that I was still around. So they didn't know anything until I got right back to the top of that ridge and I yelled down to them and I was like, bear. And they didn't believe me. They were, they were uh, dumbfounded. Um, you know, they, I had been gone for a very short period of time and suddenly I appeared back at the top of the ridge yelling at them that there was this bear and that I'd been attacked. And they're like, whatever, Alex. I'm like, no bear. Uh, and except every other word was an expletive. Um, and <laughs> so I'm like, no, I got attacked by a bear. And, and our guide, Dan, was like, this is you. This is something you can't joke about this. Like, are you being serious? Like, did this actually happen? And I was like, yes, a bear attacked me. And uh, at this point, I just was like, I don't, you know, I don't care if they believe me. I need to get down this ridge and I need to, I need their help. So I was running down and, um, and, and one of the, one of the other, uh, guys on the trip turned to Dan and he's like, I think he's serious. And that's when it really clicked for all of them. And they exploded out of the bug tent and ran to get our med kit and our satellite phone and our bear spray and, and our bear poppers. And Dan started on his way up to, to meet me. And as I'm running down, I was like, Dan's going to need to know, you know, what my injuries are and, and what's going on. And so I was like, I got attacked by a bear and I got hit in the face. And I don't know if I'm cut and I got bit in the thigh and there's blood on my foot for some reason. And I don't know why. So I was wearing sandals and my uninjured leg uh, 
my that foot was like covered in blood and I had no idea where it was coming from. So it was obvious that, you know, I, I didn't know the extent of, of my injuries. And it wasn't easy for, for you to get a, a medical assistance and medical help. How far away you were from the nearest facility? Yeah, so like I said, we were a thousand miles north of the U.S.-Canadian border in just um, an area where there's almost nothing. Um, so the nearest uh, spot for help was this uh, tiny village called Baker Lake, which at the time, I think it was around a thousand people lived there, and now it's closer to 2,500 or so. And, um, you know, at that town, there's a, a small airport and there's a, a small medical facility that's uh, staffed by a couple uh, nurses who call in to providers for um for the help that they need to provide their care. Um, and that village was still, um, around a hundred miles, uh, of paddle from where we were. Um, so we, we had our satellite phone, like I mentioned. Um, and so we were able to get, you know, after, after stabilizing my injuries and, and making sure that the bear wasn't, you know, actively coming back into camp and, and kind of, um, figuring out, you know, what was immediately needed. Um, Dan got on the phone and, and called into our camp to um, kind of coordinate what was going to happen next. And um, they checked with the uh, authorities and the available resources and a helicopter wasn't available. Um, so that's kind of the, the first line um, thing that you'd check when you're out in, in the wilderness like that. Um, and, you know, if, if my injuries had been, worse like my injuries like I said were were uh, comparatively minor and they were things that we could um, manage and stabilize um, if they'd been worse like that femoral bleed or something you know we would have activated something like the the military and they would have sent a mm -hmm. transport plane or something and had you know people um, parachute in or you know they would have moved hell or high water to um, to figure something out uh, luckily we, we didn't need that uh, we didn't need to put other people's lives at risk um, uh, to, you know, take care of these comparatively uh, minor injuries that were nonetheless um, severe. But, uh, you know, with, without those kind of first string options and without the need for those, those high risk rescues, um, we started basically a, a self-rescue to get to Baker Lake and to link up with um, a girls group from the same camp that was not too far ahead of us um, for additional help. And so we started uh, basically getting getting to Baker Lake as quickly as we could um, while maintaining my injuries. So how many days did you spend in the tundra before getting a real medical help? It was close to a week uh, from the attack to when I finally left. Um, you know, we, we were making good time um, towards Baker Lake and then we got uh, caught in this terrible storm and um, that we got stuck there and after we got stuck there um, my leg started showing signs of infection despite our management of the wound and so we started treating it and um, after we you know uh, were treating it uh, with antibiotics and things it wasn't responding well to that um, and that's the point that's the next point where it was like okay well this you know has escalated and um, at that point a helicopter had become available 
Um, so I was able to get evacuated by helicopter at that point and um, start getting care at Baker Lake and then make my way down to uh, Winnipeg for definitive care because they didn't have enough resources at this little medical center to uh, finish the treatment that I needed for that infection. What sounds crazy to me is that you had to cope with all this stress and trauma during this week until you got medical help that you needed. How you were coping with all of this? Yeah, I mean, I was coping well. You know, it was it was a challenge. Um, you know, the stress and the long-term psychological effects were some of the... Um, the things that were being weighed uh, by camp as they looked at, you know, the big picture of everything that um, had happened, you know, from my injuries to um, what the long-term effects could be. And um, one of the things that we've learned from the military and and their um, uh, experience with PTSD is the longer that you stay with the group uh, that the stress happened with, uh, the less likely that PTSD is going to be um, as severe. Uh, because oh, if you think about it, yeah, if you think about it, you know, they're the folks that are going to most understand what happened. Um, and uh, and there's a lot that, there's a lot of benefit to that, to um, having someone kind of understand your story um, and understand at least to a certain extent what you're going through. Um so, you know, uh, I, I was really fortunate that they were considering things like that because, you know, PTSD can be really debilitating for people. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was is still really challenging. I mean, the first uh, the first day, you know, we were dealing with the immediate aftermath. Um, but then the next day it was just like everywhere we went and everywhere I looked, I just was I was seeing bears and rocks and, and um, kind of having. I don't know. They're sort of like daydreams. They weren't necessarily like taking over what uh, my consciousness, like um, like with flashbacks and things like that. But I just had this um, this intense fear that you know that the bear would somehow get to me again, um, and that I wouldn't be able to survive a second bout with it. Um, but recognizing that there's some there's things you can either do. Uh, to affect your circumstances or there's nothing you can do. And there's kind of a piece that comes from that. Um, so basically as, as every challenge came up, you know, we were like, okay, well, we're going to rise to the occasion, you know, we're going to do what we have to do. And um, that, uh, I think that helped me a lot then. And then it's helped me a lot ever since as well um, to kind of put my world into that, that's that, that perspective of of uh okay here's the situation we're dealing with and here are options we need to choose one of these options so it was challenging but Today's episode is presented by Sweat Connected. Sweat Connected is a transformative way to work out. Sweat Connected has a mission to help you feel your best. Each expert instructor brings their signature method directly to you, wherever you are in the world via Zoom. 
When you take a Sweat Connected class, you are able to interact with your instructor and the other participants in class, just like you would in a live studio experience. Whether you have been a group fitness participant for years or a newer, you will feel at home with Sweat Connected. Sweat Connected is exclusively offering our listeners 50% off their first class by going to sweatconnected.com and using the code POD. That's code POD, P-O-D, at sweatconnected.com for 50% off your first class. Sweat Connected for all levels, all ages, all sizes, and all humans. Before the break, you heard Alex telling his survival story about him encountering a grizzly. After the grizzly attack, Alex had to tend his wounds and use his resilience and perseverance to reach help at a remote village a thousand miles north of the US-Canadian border. He succeeded and he reached the medical facility he needed. So. I didn't spend much time in uh, any of the medical facilities. So that first one was, um, I, was, I was about, I think I was about 12 hours in Baker Lake and then um, transferred to uh, Winnipeg and I spent about 16 hours basically in the ER um, getting ready to uh, transfer care to um, myself and, and my family and, and camp. Um, and then... Uh, we drove down and uh, back into the United States and stopped at another hospital in Grand Marais. Um, and basically, with each stop, we learned more about you know what sort of care was needed for the wound. Um, and there was talk about surgeries and about um, amputations and things like that. Uh, none of those were necessary, uh, luckily. Um, so about two months after the attack the wound itself closed um and uh was no longer an, an open injury um i still had about 25 percent of my range of motion uh and endurance on that leg was was gone um and about a year later i worked with uh physical therapy to regain that range of motion so it was about a year before um I was pretty much back to full strength physically uh, and then longer than that to um, be comfortable again in the woods uh, in a way that I was uh, happy with because I, I, I knew early on that you know I didn't want this experience to keep me from going out into the woods and uh, having the, the uh, adventures and experiences that I wanted to have. Um, so I took a lot yeah. of steps to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to also to ask how you were dealing with everything what had happened to you psychologically. How much time did it take for you to recover? Yeah, um, it was a very <laughs> prolonged process. Um, within within a, like two or three weeks of the actual attack, um, I was going back out into the woods outside of this uh, 
this trip itself uh, to a, a friend's cabin in Ely, Minnesota, um, which is also in the deep woods. And um, that first experience was just really challenging. Um, but I really relied on um, my friends and my family uh, to help support me in getting back out into these situations. And, um, you know, we, we'd build various controls, you know, like starting with a cabin, not starting with a boundary waters trip, um, where we're just like out in the wilderness without, you know, any sort of support without access to a car, or a, a permanent shelter, things like that. So just kind of working my way up to that. And, um, you know, with, with a bear attack, um, you know, I, I don't hold uh, any ill will towards the bear whatsoever. Um, you know, this was a bear doing things that are normal for a bear. And uh, it could have done a lot more to me, um, and it didn't. And I'm really thankful for that. And I think that lack of intention or lack of malice um, has helped me to, um, you know, kind of be be at peace with, with what that animal did in this situation um, so that was a big part for me. All that to say, there's a lot that you can do to take ownership of your own um, fate and your own circumstances. So I tried to do that. I tried to, you know, prepare myself with tools for these encounters with the bear spray. And, you know, I was a little ov- over the top at first. And <laughs> my family was very uh, patient with me looking like Rambo the first couple of years when we went back into the woods with like a tactical vest and a machete and things and <laughs> these kind of... Um, like I said, over the top and, and somewhat ridiculous uh, things that were kind of security blankets for me for those first few years. Yeah. Um, but gradually going back and kind of building up that comfort level and slowly stripping away those those less necessary uh, and less effective things like the machete and whatever yeah. uh, and bringing it back to, you know, what what's appropriate for the area that you're going uh, into um, so that you can you know, have a different outcome next time. I find it quite interesting that your relationship with the nature hasn't changed that much. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was super important to me early on that this not, that really that it didn't define me, um, especially in that way. You know, I didn't want to be, uh, oh, that's the bear guy. Um, (laughs) And I really didn't want to be, uh, so affected by this that I, that I couldn't go back out into the woods. I didn't want to be so, you know, terrified that it might happen again, that, that I wasn't able to, um, to get outside and, and, um, you know, experience these places that, uh, I've found to be just profoundly, um, beautiful and, and inspiring and, and restorative for me personally. Um, you know, I, the loss that uh, I would feel if I wasn't able to do that felt like it'd be a, a hole that um, would be, mm, uh, I don't know, <laughs> a hole that I didn't want to have there. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was it was hard a lot of times uh, to take those steps and to to get outside of my comfort zone and to do things that were really challenging uh, to me personally, but, um, I think the effects were, or the result was definitely worth it. Um, and I was able to go back and, and go on those family trips and then eventually go back to work at this camp. Um, 
and to guide there. I think, you know, it's very interesting. I think it shows a lot of mental strength that you were able to come back to the same place and face, you know, uh, the trauma that you, you had to go through. What's also interesting for me is that you wrote a book about a memoir about your experience of encountering this grizzly, but it took you quite some time to do so. Do you have any particular reason why? It did take a very long time. Um, I was kind of waiting for this epiphany to happen. Um, this is a situation that is just, it's so rare and it was so close to really ending my life. Um, and, uh, all of the kind of crazy subtleties that have to align for this to happen the way that it did, um, it really gave me pause and it made me feel like there's, that this was something that I, that had deeper meaning for me and something that I wanted to figure out. So part of me was kind of biding my time, um, to wait for that epiphany, and eventually I, I matured enough and I realized and I learned enough uh, to realize that I could spend my entire life waiting to figure this thing out and never write this book. And I knew like as soon as as soon as I knew that I was going to be OK, that I was going to live and, you know, um, kind of had an idea of, of what my life might look like after after this, I knew that this was something that this that that needed to be a book. This was a story that needed to be told. Um, so I knew that early on and I, uh, eventually realized that, you know, the time to write this is now. So I switched from somewhat passive, uh, process of just transcribing the journal that I'd kept on this trip. And I switched at that point to a much more active, excuse me, active phase of writing the book. Um, in some previous interviews, you have mentioned that some people doubted your story because it was so incredible and unique. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not very often these days that, you know, we as humans uh, get to be in these kind of situations. I mean, you know, just to get to where we were uh, in in the remoteness in Canada. I mean, that, there's so much that has to happen for that. And there's so many fewer wild places than there used to be. Um, so, you know, it kind of reads like something that maybe happened a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's part of it. And then just, you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but all of the subtleties and all of the little things, the little dominoes that had to be in place, um, for this to happen and to happen the way that it did, um, is just, uh, it's, it's kind of mind boggling and it kind of plays to that, you know, like why, why did this happen? Um, but I think the other thing that makes it hard for people to, um, take at face value when they meet me, I guess, is the, my lack of apparent wounds. Um, I was super lucky with that swipe across the face. I could have had some really, really, um, profound scars. And, uh, because of the exact distance that I was from the bear, you know, it basically hit me with its palm and didn't, it hardly broke the skin. Um, you know, I, I could have lost digits or limbs and I didn't. Um, so when, you know, 
you see me, there's there's pretty much no scars that uh, that are visible. Um, so you know, a lot of times I'll t- I'll tell people, yeah, you know, I was mauled by a grizzly bear when I was 17, and they kind of they pause and they'll they'll physically take a a step back or they'll you know their head will go back and they'll kind of take stock. They'll like look me up and down and be like, huh, I don't see anything. And that's, you know, when you think of a bear attack, a lot of times it's just, um, it can be very, it can be, uh, incredibly disfiguring. Um, and I was very lucky, uh, in that, you know, my injuries were as minor as they were. And then, um, you know, my, my scars for life are not visible scars. Yes, exactly. And probably this, this encounter with with this wild nature, this wild animal had a big impact on you. How would you say, how did this experience change you? Yeah, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough question to answer. Cause you know, kind of, <laughs> uh, like I said, I was trying to kind of figure it out and, um, I'd say that, uh, oh, I'm still figuring it out, I guess. Um, but it definitely gave me a lot of appreciation for the things I have, you know, just to the very fundamental core of, of being alive. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of us, um, take for granted that, uh, you know, (laughs) we're all, we're all born and we're all going to die at some point. Um, and when you're when you're confronted with that face to face, it really makes you appreciate the time that you have, and it makes you wonder, or at least think about, you know, what what am I going to do with that time? It's helped me to uh, focus on my situations um, and to take ownership of my own fate uh, as much as I can, you know. I just don't take things for granted these days. Indeed, these kind of encounters and these kind of experiences probably really make you rethink um, the importance of life values, right? Uh, Do you have uh, any particular message that you want to send to the readers with your your book? That's a good question. Um, You know, with my book... Uh, I think there's a lot of different lessons to be had. And, you know, I, when I was writing it, I didn't want to necessarily project like you, you should read this and this is what you should walk away with. Um, I wanted to kind of share my journey and my experience in a very immediate way so that the reader was able to um, kind of experience it alongside me. And I think that in doing that, um, people are able to take away the lessons that are relevant to them. And I think that that, you know, if it does that, uh, for a reader, then I, I, um, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to, you know, provide them with those lessons, what, whatever they are. Um, you know, I I think in addition to that, um, I always wanted to present, um, the wilderness and the bear and, um, that, that wild, (laughs) wild part of the world that, you know, we still have, uh, in a, in the positive light that I see it in. Um, I wanted people, I want people to be able to come away from this book, you know, appreciating the beauty of, of this specific area in the hopes that it'll inspire them to go out into the wild areas that they have access to, 
um, and to do it safely, you know, uh, kind of to my point earlier, you know, taking the controls that they are able to take and the risk and the, uh, for, do the risk management that, uh, they're able to, um, to go and experience these places in a safe manner, um, that'll help, you know, other people to go there and be safe and, and it'll also help protect, um, the bears and the other wild creatures that are there um, and allow them to continue roaming roaming about and you know living a bear's life That's all for today. Thank you to our guest, Alex Messenger. If you're interested in his story, please check out his recently released book, 29th Day, which tells his story of encountering the wild nature and surviving the grizzly attack. The next episode will be ready very soon. Follow us on social media, visit iBounceBag.net and find all the latest updates and information about the upcoming episodes there. Have a nice day. Stay safe. Bye.